Hi, I want to welcome you to this session of the Listener's Commentary on the Gospel of Luke. My name is John Whitaker, and the Listener's Commentary is all about providing down-to-earth Bible teaching through the books of the New Testament so that we can follow Jesus right in the midst of our everyday down-to-earth kind of life. In this session, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. And let's just set the context for that so we understand exactly where we're at in the flow of Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel has just a handful of major chunks, and the first major chunk after kind of the introduction and the early years of Jesus, the first major chunk revolving around Jesus' ministry is Luke 4.14 through 9.50, 4.14 through 9.50, and that's Really, the first major section about Jesus' ministry, it focuses on Jesus' ministry in Galilee and laying the foundation for his ministry. It wrestles with what Jesus' ministry is all about and how he's preaching the kingdom of God and who Jesus is and what that means. And so that's the first major section. The second major section of Luke's gospel is from 951 through uh, all the way through the middle of chapter 19. And that's going to be this long middle section that we're going to get to very shortly here. And that large middle section of the book focuses on Jesus traveling to Jerusalem. And a lot of the attention in that section will be more and more on the disciples as Jesus training the 12 for ministry, because he knows the culmination of his story, and he knows he has to hand off this work to them. So 951 through the middle of chapter 19 is set in this context of Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, training his disciples. 9-1 through 50 that wraps up that first section is really a transition to that. There's a huge focus in these verses on the 12 and on Jesus beginning to release them into ministry to prepare them for what lies ahead. And so here in 9, 1 through 17, we begin to see that as Jesus begins to delegate some of his power and his authority to the apostles for the sake of ministry. So chapter 9, verse 1 begins like this. Now he, Jesus, called the twelve together, and gave them power and authority over all the demons and the power to heal diseases. So the very same kind of power that we've seen Jesus uh, exercising in the last handful of sessions, now Jesus delegates some of that power to the apostles, to the specifically the twelve. He hands over some of this power to them so that they can begin to practice ministry as well. Jesus is really carrying on like a school of ministry for the 12, and he's beginning to involve them in and partner with them, invite them into partnership with him in his ministry. And so he delegates some of this authority to them. And he sent them out, verse 2 says, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healings. And so they're supposed to go out and do some of the same things that Jesus has been doing. Jesus' ministry is focused on proclaiming the kingdom of God, God's reign or God's rule in the lives and hearts of his people that is now breaking into the world in and through Jesus. God is bringing his kingdom into this world through Jesus, and Jesus has been teaching that and proclaiming that, and the 12 have been listening to that. They've seen Jesus perform miracles as well, and so now Jesus is saying, you are going to do the same sorts of things. And so he's sending out the 12 to extend and amplify his ministry. And he gives them some very specific instructions. He says in verse 3, uh, he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, 
neither a staff nor a bag, meaning a money bag to store extra money in, nor bread, nor extra money itself. And don't even take two tunics. In other words, he's sending them out as ambassadors for him as the king to proclaim his kingdom. But they're going to go out almost like they have nothing, right? Like, which is pretty ironic. You're going to go proclaim God's kingdom uh, and you're going to go perform healings, but you're going to go so like with nothing extra, like you, you, you barely have anything. Just travel light and go do this. Now, a couple notes on that. I think that's important for where this whole little episode is going. This idea of take nothing for you as you go out and do ministry is a really a tangible expression of their need to trust in him and depend on him. Just as Jesus trusts in the Father and depends on him for his provision and for him caring for him, well, so the 12 need to trust in Jesus and the Father to take care of them and provide for them as well, whatever that looks like. And it's going to look like people welcoming them and taking them in, right? That's what Jesus is going to say very shortly. So they need to learn to trust Jesus and the Father to provide for them. The other observation I would make about this is we don't seem to see this same sort of instructions being carried out at least in the same way to the same degree by the apostles in the book of Acts. Uh, yes, they're depending on people. Yes, um, you know, they are depending on the Father to provide for them, often through people. That's all true. It just doesn't look exactly like this is what it seems like, from the best we can tell in the story of Acts. And so these specific instructions seem like they are primarily for this moment, for this training exercise with the 12. They need to learn that you don't have to store up extra stuff. You don't have to store a lot. You need to learn that Jesus, uh, by the power of God, can provide for you. And so he's sending them out to travel light for a very specific time period, for a very specific mission related to his specific ministry. And it'll be a lesson in faith and dependence that they need to learn. Um, and he says in verse 4 to them, part of the instructions, and whatever house you enter, so as you go from town to town, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. So enter into a house. If they welcome you in, you stay with them, let them put you up. They can feed you and take care of you. And as for all who don't receive you, if you enter a house and they don't receive you, or if you enter a town and they don't receive you, when you leave that city, shake the dust of your feet off as a testimony against them. It's not 100% clear exactly what he means, but it seems like shaking the dust of your, your feet off as a testimony against them is sort of like as a warning. You had the opportunity to welcome the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come near to you in our teaching and preaching about Jesus and what he's doing. And so you had that opportunity to receive that, and now you have rejected that. And so the shaking of the dust of the feet doesn't seem like um, we're never going to come and tell you this again, because they continue teaching and preaching all through these towns for quite a bit longer. So it doesn't seem quite like that. It seems more of a warning of, be forewarned, be forewarned, your city is in danger, uh, and the dust of our feet is being shaken off because we don't want to be associated with your rejection of the king and his kingdom. That's what it seems like this symbolic action signifies. So, verse 6, they go out, and as they were leaving, they began going throughout the villages of Galilee, preaching the gospel. 
preaching the good news about the kingdom of God that's uh, being manifested in and through the work of Jesus. So they're preaching the gospel and they're healing everywhere. So they're going out really replicating Jesus' ministry. They're doing some of the same things Jesus is doing. They're preaching the gospel and they're healing. And that's, in a nutshell, what Jesus has been doing for the last eight chapters. Um, and now, verse 7, Herod the Tetrarch. So he reemerges in the story. We haven't heard about him for a while, but Herod the Tetrarch, that is the ruler over four regions. That's what Tetrarch means. And so just his kind of subtitle for his rulership. So Herod the Tetrarch, Heard about all that was happening. Heard about Jesus. Heard about his healing ministry. Heard about his authority. Heard about his ambassadors and the the twelve being sent out and doing this. And he was greatly perplexed because it was being said by some that John had risen from the dead, uh, by some that Elijah had appeared, by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Note what people are saying that John has risen from the dead or that. Elijah had appeared. Others are saying one of the prophets of old had risen from the dead. That exact same language is going to show up just a few verses down the line in chapter 9, verses 18 and 19, when Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, this is the word on the street. And so apparently this is the kind of rumors and stories that were being spread on the street because of Jesus' ministry and what Jesus is up to. People are saying these sorts of things. John's risen from the dead. No, Elijah has appeared. Well, no, I think one of the prophets of old has come back. They're, they're seeing the power and the miracles that Jesus is doing, and they're trying to figure out what that means. And so this is the rumors that are being spread about Jesus. They're trying to sort out what's happening. One of those is that John had risen from the dead. Uh, notice then verse 9 what Herod says. Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see Jesus. This is Luke's only mention of John's death. Luke doesn't tell us the story that the other two Gospels, Matthew and Mark, tell us about uh, John's death and how that came about. And so this is the only mention of it we get here in Luke's Gospel. The other Gospels tell us that Jesus had actually just learned about John the Baptist's death shortly before these events. And so um, this is a recent thing. Like John's death had recently occurred, and then Jesus' ministry is growing. Herod's hearing this about Jesus. He's trying to figure out what's going on. He's hearing the rumors on the street, and he's like, I I'm not so sure what's going on, but he wants to see Jesus. He's like, wow, this guy seems pretty impressive, pretty amazing. I would like to see him. Um, and so we're back to that question that we've come back to a time or two. Who is this? Who is this? And we're beginning to get an answer to that as we watch Jesus' ministry unfold. And now even Herod is wondering, who is this? And he would like to know that as well. And so uh, the, the apostles, the 12, they're out uh, preaching, extending Jesus' ministry. It's creating a buzz in the villages around Galilee. Herod the Tetrarch is even wondering about this and wondering who Jesus is. Verse 10, when the apostles returned from their little preaching tour, when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him, to Jesus, of all that they had done. So they come back and they report in to Jesus. Here's what we did. Here's where we preached. Here's what happened. Here's some of the stories. Oh, we met this person. Here's how they responded. So they tell him all the stories of what had happened. And Jesus figures it's a good time to try to get away for a little bit, to rest, regroup, to decompress, maybe to process what they learned and some of that. And so he's going he's gonna to take them away. That's the plan. The plans don't go quite the way he expected. 
So the second half of verse uh, 10 says, And taking them with him, he withdrew privately uh, to a city called Bethsaida. So he, he withdraws to another town, out, kind of outside of the town. In fact, when they get there, there's so many people, they actually end up outside of town on a hillside. So he's going to withdraw to this town called Bethsaida. Uh, but, verse 11, the crowds were aware of this. So they could see where he was heading or they, you know, someone told him where he was heading. But the crowds became aware of this. And so they followed him and they came to the same region. So eventually, somewhere outside of town, um, Jesus welcomed them and began to speaking and began to speak to them about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus now is the plan was to get alone with his disciples. The crowds follow so he begins to preach and teach to them about God's kingdom and what it means to live in God's kingdom and it, uh, how Jesus is bringing the kingdom. And he was actually healing, curing those who had need of healing. So he's doing the same thing the disciples were doing just a moment ago. And, and right, so the, this ministry is growing like this. Now, when the day was ending, so we're coming to the close of the day, the 12, note that number, came up to him and said to him, Dismiss the crowd so that we can go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find some lodging and get something to eat because they're they're you know not in their hometown so we need to find some food we need to find a place to stay um, because here they say we're in a secluded place so they're out in the country outside of town and it's like we need to we need to go get some food we need to find we're tired right we've been preaching wouldn't it be nice if we could just go kind of relax for a little bit find some food find some lodging he said to them. You give them something to eat. Instead of dismissing the crowd, Jesus says to the twelve, remember, it's beginning to focus on training them, you give them something to eat. They said, we don't have any more than five loaves and two fish unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. So there's a huge crowd, 5,000 men. There's women and kids along with them. So there's thousands and thousands of people here um, in this area. And Jesus says, you feed them. And they're like, we don't have food for that. Um, we only have five loaves and two fish. Now, we don't get the note here that we get in some of the other Gospels that the five loaves and two fish actually were handed to them from a little boy who apparently he packed a lunch and brought this with him, right? Like, we, we don't get that note, but all we've got is five loaves, two fish, thousands of people. What are we supposed to do, Jesus? Like, do you want us to go into town and buy, all, buy food for all these people or what? Now, he said to his disciples, have them recline to eat in groups of about 50. So sit down and kind of break them into groups of about 50 just for the sake of management so it's a little easier to work with. And so so apparently the disciples go through the crowd, have them sit down, right? Like gather up, get in groups of about 50, sit down on the grass, um, and let's see what we can do here. Um, and so they did so. They had them all recline, and Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven... He blessed them and he broke them. So he said a prayer of thanks um, and uh, standard Jewish form, you know, blessed are you, king of the universe, that you provide, you know, bread to eat for all your people. And so Jesus says some sort of prayer like that, some sort of prayer of blessing over the food and thanking God for the food. And he began to give the, the food, the bread and the fish to the disciples and this translation adds again and again. It didn't happen once, presumably, right? They're just trying to say, well, that's probably what happened. He breaks them and gives them to the apostles. They come back, get some more, and he breaks them and gives them to them. What I find interesting about this is, is they 
take the bread and serve the crowd, the crowd doesn't know where all this food is coming from. They're scattered all over the hillside in groups of 50. So they don't know where all this is coming from. Now, but the 12 do. The 12 know we had just five, uh, you know, loaves and two small fish, right? Like that's what we had. And yet every time we come back to Jesus with a basket, he puts more food into it and we take it to the people. It had to be shocking and amazing, right? Like, what's going on here? Where is all this coming from? And they keep coming back with their basket and and they take more food to the people and they keep serving the crowd and everybody, they all ate and were satisfied and there was leftovers and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up and there were 12 baskets. So the disciples each had a basket and they were delivering food to the people and when they clean up the leftovers, guess what? There's still full baskets for the 12. They can still eat. They, they were worried about finding food and lodging. And guess what? There's food for them. There's food for them, even after feeding all these people. And I think that's a significant lesson for uh, them and for us out of this story, um, that they need to learn to trust in Jesus' provision while serving Jesus. That's why they were sent out uh, with, without any extra you're going to go about ministry, and you need to trust me to provide. You're going to be serving me, and you need to trust in my provision. And then immediately after that, Luke tells us this story, and the story culminates, ends with each having their own basket, full basket of food. There's more than enough for them. Um, and it's interesting because Luke notes the 12 several times in the story, the 12, the 12, the 12, and then he ends it with, and 12 baskets. He wants to make the point, like, Jesus knows how many how many apostles there are. He knows they're hungry. He knows what they need. And they each get a basket for them. And the disciples are still needing to learn in Jesus' full power and full ability and full identity and his uh, power to, to provide for even their, their basic fundamental needs, their need for bread. He's the one who feeds them. Like God provided manna in the wilderness for the people of Israel, so too Jesus provides food for his people in the wilderness. In fact, John's story, John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, which, by the way, is one of the few miracle stories of Jesus told in all four of the Gospels. It's that central, that significant. This story is that big of a deal that it's told in all four of the Gospels. And in John's account, it actually records Jesus' teaching on this very theme after this event. He teaches on Moses providing manna in the wilderness and now him being the bread of life who's come down out of heaven and he'll feed his people, right? And so uh, that, that theme is interwoven in John's mind with this event because the disciples needed to learn that Jesus is the one who feeds his people and he can take care of them. So there on the mountains of Israel, uh, King Jesus is providing for his people, just as Moses had provided bread, or I should say, as God provided bread through Moses during the Exodus event. And so Jesus is preparing the twelve, the apostles, for mission and for ministry. And they continue to see who Jesus is and what kind of power and authority he has. And they're learning to trust him more and more. And as we watch this story unfold and listen to this, may we learn to trust Jesus like they needed to learn to trust Jesus, that he'll provide for us as well. As we serve him, as we give our life over to him and his kingdom, Jesus can take care of us just as he could take care of them.